It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I mean, the I love the the history of the horns down, like is through Texas Tech, right? Like we like that's my favorite story in the world, is that um, you know, a Texas player absolutely toasted Texas Tech on a kick return in uh Lubbock. Did the did the guns down, got flagged for it, and then Mac Brown did the Mac Brown thing and complained about it post game and that's that's all she wrote. So like that's where the horns down thing started. I love that 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 is the deepest deepest part of the horns down lore involves Texas Tech. Cheryl Smith writing and rewriting history first ever national title for Texas Tech. Jonathan Garibay, the boot is away, and it's Welcome one, welcome all to the Tortillas and Takes podcast. You're on once again with your boy, I'll be sure. And uh, we're, we've, you know, I, we told you all at the beginning that we would have these previews and we'd preview all these teams and we'd have these guys come on and talk about their teams. And after three episodes of doing this, we're now in episode four, right? And we're getting to the end. We have three more people that are going to come on, talk about their teams and get to the end of the schedule. And then sure enough, we're going to have a full episode just talking about Texas Tech. But before getting on that, we do got to talk about our last few teams of the, uh, on the schedule. And uh, to start off and to join me in on this, we got to bring on the people's champ himself, Jeremy Gillen. What's up, Jeremy? It's the last episode, Albert. This is it. It's this, and then it's football. Do you understand this? It's this, and then it's football. Well, I mean... Well, it's not direct. It's not directly football. I mean, yeah, but it's episodes, football after so this. Then we'll be <laughs> previewing in a lot more in depth... Uh, Wyoming, which, you know, how much more in depth can we get? But this is the last, I mean, we've had such a good time, man. I said it on the last podcast. This has been such a joy to get our friends in the network, um, to come on and talk about their teams. And hilariously, we've joked about it every time I tried to set the standard. Let's do, cause I thought it'd be a good idea. Let's get multiple guests on one podcast episode. Let's tell them to keep it short, 10 to 15 minutes, talk about their team, they're going to be the experts on it and give us the most concise elevator pitch possible. But I was thinking we were talking to businessmen and not podcasters because what has happened is that we have continuously blasted the time limit out of the water. But it's been all good content. It's been all good stuff. I'm not I, I'm not upset about a single minute of it. We've had such good guests so far. Three more great guests coming up. Uh, I'm excited to wrap up this small mini series as we get ahead of the season. It's just every single Every single day we're closer to football season is just a, a, a day closer to heaven. I'm just, I'm so ready. I will say I was making fun of you as far as because, you know, we're not right to football season. But technically for degenerates like myself, high school football does start this weekend. And I feel like the ratings for high school football is always at its height week one because we're just thirsty for football like that matters. And so we're like, yeah, sure. We'll watch Katie football play Morton Ranch. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's go, right? We'll watch Dickinson football. Shout out to the Dickinson Gators. We'll watch Dickinson football play North Shore, right? Let's do it. And then week two, and then you know you get to week two of high school football and college starts. And we're like, all right, forget them little kids. Let's <laughs> let's do let's do people that just became adults. <laughs> let's talk let's start with them. So, but uh, but anyways, so talking about the people that just became adults, um, <laughs> we got 
got to bring in the team that just became good, right? The Kansas Jayhawks. Um, that is going to be game number 10 for Texas Tech Red Raiders. Uh, they'll be playing in Lawrence. And to talk about Kansas uh, and to talk – we got to bring on the guy that's, I mean, he's been on the pod quite a few times. Um, you, you know him, you love him. That is Andy Mitz from the Rock Chalk Podcast. What is going on, Andy? Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people, and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. How's it going? I thought you were going to make that joke about me personally, not the Kansas football team, which my wife would probably agree with you, though. So, I mean, it's probably not that far off. But uh, No, nah, man, we're, we're all semi-adults in this. I, I feel like we, all of our all of our wives and significant others and and, and people that live with us look at, look across the room and it's like, man, they're doing that that dang podcast again about college sports, right? Oh yeah. Do do people do do people listen to them? And then occasionally you'll get somebody that's like, hey, I heard you on a podcast, and it's like, oh dang, people people actually listen to y'all? That's crazy. You yeah, know? yeah, no, it's always fun to find people out in the wild that actually listen. And yeah. To to your point, Jeremy. Um, yeah, you guys made the mistake of thinking that or forgetting that you were talking to people that like to talk. Um, I mean, if you're not, you know. If, if you're a podcaster, you obviously like to talk. So, unfortunately, quick is just not really in our DNA. So true. I picked I picked the worst kind of people to be. It's it's all of us who have a daytime job, and we do this for fun. And it's like, yep. okay, yep. we That's like to problem. talk. It's not even we get paid it. We like to talk, and I'm, I, I'm an right. idiot. Yeah. That's right. So, um, so, Andy, let's talk about the Kansas Jay- uh, Jayhawk football team. So, a lot of – buzz going on in Kansas, right? We talked about, last year we talked about Lance Leipold, and, and the, at the time he was only one year in, but there was a lot of like, oh, could he do this? Well, year two, he did it. He did it. Y'all had an, a great season. You went to a bowl game. It was it was all fun. Now just just announced that y'all are getting, a, uh, the stadium is getting upgraded, right? You're, you're investing. The university is investing in the football program. Um, and so talk to us a little bit about 2023 and this team coming in, because this is now the first year that y'all kind of have expectations. Now it's not just lowly Kansas. Now people are looking at the schedule and say, we can't just overlook that team. They're going to come in with some. What do you think about this team going forward? You know, it is kind of funny because technically they have expectations, right? The, the Vegas over under on wins is six and a half. Um, but it came out probably about a week ago that the uh, Kansas Jayhawks were, I think, the number two team bet on the under by the public. So there's definitely kind of a kind of pulling, you know, in multiple directions here where there's a lot of people that actually believe that this team is capable of doing something. There's a lot of people that think that maybe it's a little bit early. Um, you know, I think a lot of the questions revolve around the defense and I'm sure that we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but I think what gets lost in all of that is the, you know, it, it's almost kind of an overlooking of, we saw a Kansas offense that was so phenomenal last year. There's no way that they could actually be better. Right. Um, what that fails to account for is the fact that they bring back like 92, I think, percent of their production from last year, um, which is just a ridiculous amount. And they were the ninth ranked uh, offense in terms of, you know, per play SP plus efficiency. So, um, you know, this was a very efficient offense. And think about the fact, right, that this was an efficient offense that ran two different quarterbacks throughout the season. You had Jason Bean starting for five of the, 13 games because of an injury to Jalen Daniels. 
Jalen Daniels had a phenomenal season, even though, like, his game against Texas was horrible. That was his first one back from injury. The game against Kansas State, there were so many offensive issues in the rain in Manhattan that, you know, those two games looked bad, but then you look at what he did in the bowl game. And, and I think that's really what last year was, right? That was the coming out party for this for this program, for Lance Leipold's system. Um, and, like, last year, to, to kind of put it in perspective, last year I was the guy, you know, that said January 1st, coming in before the season, my bold prediction is that they go to a bowl game. Knowing full well that in order for that to happen, a lot of things had to go right for them. They had to catch some teams that probably were having some issues, you know, you know, Oklahoma State with some with some injury issues and, um, you know, catching some of those other teams, you know, the, the comeback against Houston on the road, the comeback against West Virginia on the road. Like, a lot of things had to go their way, but they did it. And I think this year the biggest difference is the expectation of the bowl game, right? Like, if they make a bowl game, it's not because they got lucky. It's because the defense got a little bit better and the offense continued to ball out. And I think that's really what the main difference is, is that this year there are expectations for a bowl game. There is that buy-in. There's a ton of people that are ready to go. You know, the early primetime game against Illinois on Friday is a huge referendum for this team about how bought in the fans are. Um, right now, I believe that they're at like 95% capacity in terms of tickets sold. Like, there's a lot of people buying in, and they are really, really ready to come and cheer on this team. This is a team that everyone is, is super excited about. You know, it is Kansas. It'll always be a basketball school. But as Bill Self said, as Lance Leipold said, when both of those teams are good, then the, you know, the, the athletic department has everything that they possibly need. Everybody wants the football team to be as good as the basketball team. It's just a question of how, how long is it going to take for them to find a way to get up there and regularly compete for Big 12 championships. Well, there's been a lot of, I mean, you just had a massive, I mean, you're undertaking this massive, um, what am I trying to say? The stadium, right? Just re renovation. Right. Like this massive renovation. Like there is a lot of, and that's kind of the markers, right, for programs is when they really buy into a coach, when they really buy into an idea, then they're ready to throw money towards it. I mean, Kansas has gone through a lot of kind of coaching turnover and a lot of like turnover with expectations for the past long time now. And to see Kansas get to a point where it feels stable, right? After the season went over, it was, hey, where are you going, Lance Leipold? Where, you, you did it with Kansas. Where are you going? And for him to say, nah, I'm good, is kind of the biggest slap to the face towards expectation. Because everybody thought, you know, you, you get, it's going to be a stepping stone. It's kind of the way, you know, Texas Tech feels a lot, a lot of similarity there. That if you succeed here, obviously we're going to go somewhere else where they want to be. But you find that coach, for Tech it's McGuire. For Kansas it seems to be Leipold. If you find that coach to stick around, suddenly the coffers start opening up, expectations start rising, and now you see Kansas. And I joke, I mean, I mean, we started podcasting Albert and I, twenty eighteen or whatever. And I, back then, I was like, you know what, I, I, I'm gonna just go on a limb and say Kansas has been too bad for too long. There's the flip is the, the switch is gonna flip here at some point. Yeah, and I've been oh yeah, thinking for sure. that. For every year, I've been thinking that. And so last year, to see game day pop up in Lawrence, I thought. There it is. Now the basement team, and of course we have to adjust that with all the new teams coming in, but like the basement team of the Big 12 is getting an opportunity here with the shakeup, the realignment, to really establish itself much differently than it's been for the past X amount of years. So like that expectation, I mean, tell us a little bit about the Jayhawks 
coming into this year because you got you know the first team you got pretty much Jalen Daniels right, but you got to think about guys like Kobe Bryant and defensive back. I mean, even um, somebody else I wrote down, Mike Davitsky's popped up on a couple of watch. It's just like you've got people on the Kansas Jayhawks team, football team, that national people are being like, hey, we should keep an eye on this person, which is huge. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, I, I honestly think that the biggest difference, right, between what you're talking about you know, the last decade plus prior and currently now is Travis Goff as the athletic director. Um, you know, I've been I've been working on an article and still haven't gotten it published, but I want to at some point, talking about what he has done in just the short amount of time that he's been here, you know, just over two years. Um, Kansas fans are used to athletic directors who think that they know better who, and athletic directors who think that it's a, you guys need to come buy into what we're doing instead of us as an athletic department, you know, giving you a reason to come. We had Jeff Long, I think was the biggest example of that, of a guy who thought it was all about him and that he could do whatever he wanted. And it was going, you know, and, and, and people needed to kind of bend the knee to him and, and, and come and do what he wanted them to do. And, it's been completely different with, with Travis Goff. You know, he has looked to find ways to add value for everybody, to show that support, to get people excited, and talk about doing things the right way. Um, you know, there were no grand pronouncements of him, you know, coming in and making sweeping changes. Everything was going to change real quick. It's the, we're going to build this foundation. We know we need to do this. You know, the stadium is something that has been promised, I think, since 2013. Like, it's been over a decade. Um Actually, it might have even been before that now that I think about it. But, like, this is something that they've been talking about doing for a long time, but they were not able to get the funding, partly because, you know, prior athletic directors kind of made it seem like they need the funding in order for the team to actually, you know, have any hope. Um, and other times just because the athletic director was not really that great at, at getting people to actually give money. What we, what we see now is a guy who understands the landscape, understands what needs to be done in order for Kansas to be competitive and for Kansas to be able to – find what it is that they need. And he went out and found a coach that, you know, shares that vision with him. There's a synergy between coach and athletic department and, you know, staff and everything. And, you know, I, I think I, I saw a lot of people kind of talk about how, you know, everybody preaches consistency, right? Like um, that's a, a buzzword that a lot of people throw around. It's different though with Lance Leipold. They have the exact same staff since Leipold got here. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. They added one assistant coach. Uh, you know, coming into last year, and then they added Sean Snyder um, to help with, you know, special teams as an analyst this year. Like, they've had small changes where they've added to staff, but they have not changed any of the position coaches, you know, so they've been teaching the same message in the same way with these same guys, and having all the guys come back that came back is just allowing them to continue to build. Um, I think that's really what it is, is that they started the foundation, and they've been able to build on it, whereas we were starting over with so many of those prior teams because a bunch of people would transfer out. You'd have a whole bunch of issues with just tons of talent leaving. People couldn't wait to get out of Lawrence. Now you're seeing people who are in, in, in situations where it would make sense for them to leave. I'm speaking specifically about Jason Bean, right? The way last year ended for him, overthrowing that throw in the end zone on the third overtime two-point you know, conversion. Like, a lot of people would have left and gotten away from that situation, especially since there were some stupid fans who were like, you know, talking about how he lost in the game and he, you know, getting on to him for it. He came back. He wanted to come back. He wanted to finish his journey here. He wanted to, you know, bring Kansas to that next level. And that's not something that you would have seen for a lot of, not you know, a lot of teams, but especially the Jayhawks in that last decade. There's not guys that really would want to stick around through that because they weren't getting the support they needed. 
and you know Kansas was a laughingstock of of college football for a really really long time. It's completely different now. I, I think there's a lot of people that are thinking that this team is able to do a lot of things that they could do a lot of things, and nobody has any questions about the offense, right? Like the offense, everybody at that's where the majority of those award watch list, you know, uh, recipients are are coming from. You have Jalen Daniels, Devin Neal, Mike Nowitzki, all making first team from the offense in, in the Big 12 preseason. And then, uh, you know, you have Kobe Bryant on the other side. So, like, you have guys on both sides of the ball that are getting that recognition, but the offense is by far, I think, the more established unit. And it's going to be very fun to see what Andy Kotelnicki is able to do with the team this year now that he has guys that know the system, know what they're supposed to be doing. What kind of wrinkles can they add onto it? What kind of additional stuff are they going to be able to do that's going to be a whole lot of fun? So you kind of already mentioned the uh, preseason Big 12 Player of the Year and Jalen Daniels. Uh, Mike Nowitzki and Devin Neal both making that preseason All-Big 12 team as well. But talk to us a little bit about the offense. Um, we already know, like you said, there's the, when it comes to the offense at Kansas, that's the one where everyone's like, man, you know, that's they, they, they had something really impressive last year. Um, even with even when, as Jason Bean came on as the backup when Jalen Daniels went out, still pretty impressive. He's still there. But... Talk about the rest of the team there as you see. Who else excites you on the offensive side of the ball and uh, um, that makes you think that this train can keep going? Yeah, I don't think I need to say much about Devin Neal. You know, he's that workhorse back guy that, you know, I think, I believe he actually had a decent night against Texas Tech last year. I don't remember. I I had to pull it up. Uh, But, you know, he had multiple games, especially after Daniel Hyshaw went down, um, where he was a guy that had a whole bunch of yards. He had like a 256-yard game, I believe, against one team last year, and I'm struggling to remember exactly who it was. Um, but Daniel Hyshaw is the guy that I really am looking forward to seeing again on offense. He had a, you know, spin against, uh, I believe it was against Iowa State. He had a, or no, sorry, it was Duke. Uh, a, a spinning around, like missing, making a whole bunch of tackles, miss 73-yard touchdown run, um, which was technically a run because he caught the ball behind the line of scrimmage. But just to kind of see what he's able to do, he came to Kansas and was kind of known as one of those big bruiser guys. Um, to see him develop and to see him turn on more of a speed, finesse-type game like that, be able to do a lot of different things, I think he's a guy that if Devin Neal was not in that backfield, that Daniel Hyshaw would probably be the lead back, and he would be a pretty damn good lead back as well. So uh, Kansas has two really good running backs, both on the, on the Doak Walker award watch list to begin the year. Um you know, you look at the wide receiver room, that's where a lot of people have the most questions just because there's not a guy that truly stands out as, like, the number one. But I think guys like Lawrence Arnold, Luke Grimm, Quentin Skinner would all be solid number twos on pretty much any Big 12 team. Um, so they have a whole, you know, room full of twos and a bunch of other guys that can all get involved. And Jalen Daniels, one of his biggest strengths is getting guys involved, spreading the ball around, doing a whole bunch of different stuff. It's the, the only other player that I've seen do that to that degree would be a guy like Patrick Mahomes, where, you know, Mahomes is always looking. And, and again, not saying he's like Mahomes, right, in any other way. Just the fact that you look at what he's done with the Chiefs, you look at what he did at Texas Tech, right? Like, that's what Mahomes was known for, was not only, like, his insane physical abilities, but finding people that you were just like, where the heck did that come from? Jalen Daniels does the same sort of thing. He finds people in offensive schemes that you would not expect it's why uh, he had, I think he had three games last year where he had 11 different receivers in the game. Like, it's just ridiculous how many people he gets involved. And the fact that Kansas has three different tight ends that can all catch passes, that can all block, that can all do a bunch of different things, um, that is an extra wrinkle that most teams do not have. Kansas is probably the only team that I am aware of that uses the tight end position the way that they do as a hybrid 
blocking slash wide receivers. They also have a bunch of wide receivers who are willing to block, which is another thing that you don't see a lot in college. Is that There's not a lot of wide receiver rooms where every single person on the team and on the, in, in that room is ready to throw a lead block for a guy who's running around the edge. Um, and so Kansas is Kansas has a lot of guys who have all bought into this collective mentality on offense. And so it's hard to pick a guy that's going to be the standout because outside of Jalen Daniels, outside of potentially Jason Bean, if you know, depending on what kind of role he gets. Um, and, and that's actually something else we could talk about entirely is, you know, the whole dual dual quarterback looks that we've been told are getting added here. Jason Bean's going to be a lot more involved in the actual offense as more than just the backup quarterback. So it's like, they have so many different things that they can do, so many different things that they try to do, and so many different types of plays they can run out of the same look that it's an absolute nightmare for defensive coaches on the other side to figure out what is it that they're doing. You just have to hope that you have the right base play and your guys can make a play. So I, you know, Jeremy would be very upset at me if I didn't do this. I got to keep it very consistent uh, because I do it to him all the time. Sorry, Andy, you're my guy, but I got to do it. You heard it here first. Andy Mitz says that Jalen Daniels is the exact same as Pat Mahomes. Uh, he will be a future NFL MVP when NFL championships. Uh, you heard it here first, right? I'm you know what? It wouldn't be my boldest prediction on a podcast, though. That's actually true. Wildly yeah, exactly. enough. <laughs> Wildly enough. What would be your boldest prediction on this podcast? <laughs> so, so let's switch over to the side that you're not as confident about. So the defensive side of the ball, uh, you have Kobe Bryant. Which also, we, we talked to, last episode, we talked to Kansas State as far as they have a guy, Kobe Savage. Incredible name. Shout out to Kobe Bryant's parents for realizing they have the last name Bryant and being like, listen, yeah. Yeah, I mean, his, <laughs> We're his, gonna first, name up a is, bit, his first name's actually Jacoby Bryant. Like, his name is Jacoby oh, Bryant. Oh, no, gone, I didn't know that. But he's uh, gone no, by no, Kobe no, Bryant. It's over. He, no, he, that, that no, takes no, 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 it hold off. Hold on, hold on. I don't give, no, I don't give credit to his parents anymore. I give credit to him for realizing Okay, okay, that works, that works. I give him the credit now. You know, it's also one of those things, too. It's funny because he switched, uh, like, he originally came in and people were calling him Jacoby Bryant and he was on the roster officially, but he switched over to Kobe Bryant on the roster last year. And immediately... I'll give him the credit, though. Immediately in the second game against West Virginia, he got the new nickname, the Hawk Mamba, because of his interception of of uh, JT Daniels that, you know, he ran back for a touchdown to win that game in West Virginia. So such a missed opportunity by his parents, by the way, but, um, yeah, <laughs> I will say so, but let's talk about the rest of the defense. So Kobe Bryant is an incredible corner. Definitely. Excuse me. Definitely. I think deserving of that all big 12 uh, preseason nomination. Um, I thought he was just as impressive on the defensive side as Jalen Daniels was on the offensive side. However, the rest of the defense not so much. So tell me, as a Kansas fan, why we sh- should be more excited as far as the defense side of the ball, and, and or, or, or is it going to be another long season for them? You know, it's, it's it's funny because I think there's plenty of guys around the defense that are good. The problem was that, especially for teams that were able to play up-tempo, teams that were able to, you know, um, play the same offensive linemen that didn't get worn down having to face. Like, Kansas last year was based a lot on our, our main philosophy is we are going to throw nine different defensive linemen at you, rotate around through them. When we get to the fourth quarter, we're going to have fresh legs. We're going to wear you down. Your offense is going to have as much time to do what they need to do. That also, though, in a lot of cases, especially early in games, put linebackers and that defensive secondary in very bad situations because the defensive line didn't get the pressure up front that they needed to initially because both teams were completely fresh. And so I did, I do think that put Kansas in a lot of bad positions for guys. I'm thinking specifically guys like, you know, O.J. Burroughs developed throughout the year. He ended up being a very, very good 
uh, safety. Kenny Logan is another, you know, safety who's really good for this Kansas team. Um, you know, you look you look across at all the different. I'm sorry, wait a minute. OJ Burroughs. Uh, yeah, yeah. Burroughs. The problem is Burroughs lined up in a bunch of different spots. I don't remember if he was actually a corner or a safety officially on the roster last year, but their their safeties and corners kind of played interchangeably. In fact, Craig Young, linebacker on um, on the roster last year, played so much as a fifth defensive back that he got categorized on Pro Football Focus as a cornerback and was rated as a cornerback on Pro Football Focus, which is just really weird. Craig Young has transitioned to the linebacker role. He was their second best pass rusher last year. He had four and a half sacks on the season from a linebacker slash safety hybrid role. Um, you know, so Kansas has a lot of guys who potentially could be really good. They just have not had the overall talent, the overall size. And, and um, you know, strength coach Matt Gildersleeve talked about it just a few days ago in, in, in fall camp that last year, coming into last year, they were still working on bulking people up. Everybody was about 20 pounds lighter than they really should have been in terms of where they wanted them to play and how they wanted them to play. Um, so last year was a lot of bulking guys up, getting them to where they needed to be. This year, it's been all about team speed. Um, you know, he talked about how last year coming in, they had 20 guys who could run 20 miles an hour on the, on the football field. This year, they have 69 guys who have broken 20 miles an hour in practice on the football field during live plays. So, like, they have had a conscious effort to get faster without losing that physicality. And they've brought in guys in transfers. You know, I'm talking about, uh, you know, uh, Dylan Brooks from, I think it's, Sorry, I'm mixing a bunch of different names up, but they, they brought in transfers from all over the place. You know, they have uh, they have uh, Joiner, they have Brooks, they have uh, Gage, they have Gage, Gage Keys. They have a bunch of guys that they've brought in who have played quite a bit or have played in systems similar to what they're trying to do that are able to hit the ground running a whole bunch, you know, faster than you would normally think. Plus, guys like DJ Withers, uh, you know, Hayden Hatcher, guys that had a role in that rotation last year really took a big step up and have been, you know, the, the, the coach has been raving about the development of a lot of these different players. And it's not like we don't, you know, have history to look back on. Like this Kansas staff has shown that they can develop players over the course of a season. So whether they've all developed to the degree that they need to be in order to, you know, beat a whole bunch of Big 12 teams, I, I think that's still debatable. We still kind of have to figure how everything slots together. But if, you know, if, if the only assets that they go from the, I think it was 120th, or no, it's not. It was like the 95th, I think, ranked defense last year. If they can jump up into the mid 70s, mid 60s, this is a team that has an offense that's good enough that can take a defense like that that can get a stop, you know, one out of every eight plays and cause a negative play. That they can really kind of turn that pressure up. And when you're when your offense can't have more than two big mistakes in a game for you to be able to win, that puts a lot of pressure on a team. Um, you know, Kansas has the kind of offense this year that can make it so that if you have two empty drives, you may not be able to be in the game at the end of the year or at the, at, at the end of the game. We're talking about uh, Kansas, right? Not Texas Tech because it's starting to sound real familiar. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's actually funny, right? Because <clears throat> especially, you know, like Patrick Mahomes, Texas Tech and, you know, Texas Tech after that shortly, like. The defense has always been the big issue, I think, for a lot of people outside of the Texas Tech program looking at it. And, you know, Kansas kind of been, up until recently, was kind of the opposite way, where they had a bunch of they had a bunch of guys that could play on the defensive end, but they didn't have the depth. And so the defense, though, played decently for, you know, the first, the first half and then fell apart at the end because they weren't getting any kind of support. Now it's very much the opposite. The Kansas offense is just absolutely phenomenal. 
Kansas had gotten down, or they got down so many times last year and came roaring back in the second half to either win a game or make it a game. Um, I'm not going to be shocked if that happens again this year or if the offense is able to actually push things quickly enough that other teams are the ones that have to try to make those comebacks this year. So, so oh, oh, go ahead, Jeremy. Here, let me just um, five. You started off five and zero last season. You got to host College Game Day for the first time. Congratulations! Welcome to the one-time club. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you you snapped a lot of droughts last season, right? Three and zero start. That's the first since two thousand and nine. You had consecutive road wins, which is the first time since two thousand seven. Pretty good year for you guys. Undefeated non-conference slate, first time since 2013. You had an AP poll ranking, first time since 2009. 2-0 Big 12 play, first time, first, ooh, excuse me, second time since 2008. You had a sellout at uh, David Booth, the second, uh, and then third and fourth since 2009. And you you end the season um, the way you do. You have like a 1-7. You get a win against Oklahoma State, which is a really good game. I enjoyed that one. Um, but you kind of, I think Leipold in Impressor asked about it during the spring. He said, we just ran out of gas. So we're now, now we're trying to figure out how do we not run out of gas? You know, how do we sustain that for the whole season? And we, I mentioned it at the beginning of the pod. This is a really interesting conference realignment. We're having a lot of new teams come in. You guys play three of them in, um, right? You play Cincinnati, B, uh, Cincinnati, um, BYU and UCF. How are you feeling about that? Like, if you're looking at the season, what are your expectations for this season? With what you had last season was, it, it could very well be the turnaround for Kansas football. How are you looking at this season, especially in the lens of, with all of these newcomers coming in, this is just going to be a jostle for power. Oklahoma uh, and Texas are out. Like, they maybe hear this last season, but they're mentally checked out. You know, what is what are your expectations for Kansas for this really penultimate season for the big 12 yeah i mean it's weird because i I have subscribed for quite a long time to the thought especially coming into this year before seeing some of the things that happened with some of the other teams that they could go five and seven this year end with a worse record than they had and still be a better team and i still think that that's entirely possible but you look at just how good this offense is and especially the way that this schedule breaks it is really hard for me to imagine anything worse than a four and two start you know, you play Missouri State, you have Illinois at home, and yes, Illinois has that vaunted, you know, defense that a lot of people expect them to have, but they're replacing a whole bunch from that team. They have a brand new coordinators. Like, they have they have a whole bunch of new pieces. They're trying to do a brand new offense. Like, there's a lot of reasons to like Kansas in that game with a well-established offense, a defense that has shown that they are a much better team at home um, and early in the season. Like, I think that that's a game that Kansas could win, and that could get them on the cusp of being ranked potentially early in the season with what a lot of people think potentially could happen. Then going on the road to Nevada, that's not a game that I'm that worried about at all. Coming home to face BYU. Yes, it's you know a brand newcomer that you have no idea. It's your first Big 12 game. It's also BYU's first ever Big 12 game, and it's going to be in Lawrence. Um, there's going to be a lot of BYU fans there, just because I happen to know a lot of BYU fans who live in the area. Um, but like it is... Also, I think one of those things where Kansas is going to be able to take advantage of the fact that they're at home. Then they go on the road to Texas, and, you know, Texas memes are so much fun to have. I, I think that's one that you chalk up as a loss right now, um, and probably even when we get there. Like, it's hard to imagine Kansas goes down and Texas doesn't take them seriously, and Texas has more talent, so they should win that game. But it's also Texas. I would not rule out any kind of weird weirdness there. And then you play UCF at home. Like, 5-1 and one is not out of the question there. Right, like you lose either to Illinois if they're really, really good this year, or you lose to like UCF. Those are possible. 
But every other one of those games you should win for sure. Then you go on the road at Oklahoma State, right? And they're like, sure. Ari Temkin from Big 12 Sports Radio seems to think that they're going to, you know, he, he gave them a first place vote. Um, mainly because he said he was looking for a team that could, you know, take advantage of a really weak schedule and take advantage of a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, not saying that he thought that they would, but um, Oklahoma State has so many questions that at this point, and, and honestly, you know, with Alan Bowman as their quarterback, like, look, I mean, I thought he was great when he was on the field, but much like, uh, you know, what Scott was saying in your guys' last episode about how, you know, Texas Tech quarterbacks are great when they're on the field, but they have a problem staying on the field. Uh, Bowman has not been able to be on the field wherever he's been. So, like, I don't know that I can trust Alan Bowman at Oklahoma State to elevate that offense to where it needs to be. Um, you know, you play Oklahoma at home. You almost got them two years ago in Lawrence with a much worse team against an Oklahoma team that's probably that probably was a lot better than this Oklahoma team is going to be. Um, then you go on the road to an Iowa State team that's an absolute mess. Like, those first nine games shape up really, really well for Kansas to be 7-2, and two, maybe 6-3. and three. At which point, you've already qualified for a bowl game. You're playing with house money the rest of the way. You have two home games against two really good teams in Texas Tech and Kansas State, I think, coming into the year. And then you go on the road to Cincinnati. So, like, 7-5 and five seems like a realistic floor to be expecting for this team. But I also don't think, like, that Texas Tech game is out of reach, it being at home, especially after what happened last, you know, in last year's game with Jalen Daniels not being the quarterback because he was injured. Like, yes, Jason Bean's a good quarterback, but Jalen Daniels takes him takes them to another level. So, um, like, well, give us a, give a, us a score game. prediction. Give us okay. a score prediction for that game. Uh, for that game, I, honestly, I think it's going to be a shootout. Like, I think both of these defenses are going to have fairly good years overall, but I also think that both of these offenses are kind of tailored to take advantage of the weaknesses of, the, of these particular defenses. So unless the Kansas defense changes a ton during the year or the Texas Tech defense changes a ton during the year, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't be shocked to see like a 55-52 Kansas victory or something like that. Or even, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I'm not, I think I actually put in my best case scenario, right, predictions, I said 9-3 and three for Kansas. And I had them losing, I think, the Texas Tech game and winning the game against Kansas State. So and like, saw but that I, I think they, Oklahoma, I think they split Texas those. Tech game back in 2016. He said, "You know what? We can do that. We can do better than that." <laughs> Anything you can do, I can do better. So okay, let's, fine, 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 fine. We'll go 69-66, Kansas. How's that? <laughs> He's like, let's let's have oh, both quarterbacks oh throw for 600 <laughs> yards. Exactly. There you go. If you're right, gonna do listen. it, look. If you're gonna do it, you might as well do it big. If we're going to be the Big 12 and not play defense, we, my God, that we means, do it. You know what that means? That means that um, Jalen Daniels is going to be the number 10 pick in this upcoming draft, and Tyler Shuck will be the number one pick in the draft the year after. Um, so I'm okay with that. You know, I'll take that. Uh, um, that uh, that works for me. Um, Especially if that becomes, you know, Daniels' Heisman moment from, from this year. So That, that could be it. Um, so uh, where does Kansas end up? You said, they, you know, y'all are – be- beating Texas Tech sixty nine sixty six, and then uh, I know you said a se- I, I heard a seven and five floor ceiling of nine and three. So we're going to look at it at an eight and four prediction. Is that is that a good way to look at I, it? I think I think probably eight and four is probably about where I'm going to settle. Uh, I'm still kind of going through and reevaluating stuff and all of that. I'll have my official prediction out over on Blue Wings Rising before the season starts. But I think eight and four is probably where I'm leaning towards right now. Um, what, what, bowl, what, what bowl does that put y'all in? 
To be honest, I'm not really sure, but uh, you know, I'm all oh, for. It's all depends. I'm all for who, what bowl what bowl selects who. And I mean, I wouldn't mind a Pop Tarts tech. bowl just because it'd be fun to be you know in the first Pop Tarts bowl. Yeah, but. well, that bowl is the same one that was like, hey, Texas Tech and Baylor and all the other schools. I know you're better than Oklahoma, but we're picking Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, get it was the hell out of this place. It was it was okay. the Cheez It Bowl before, so yeah, and so and, and uh, everyone knows how well that went for TCU. So. <laughs> that's, that's fair. All right, uh, Andy, tell everybody where they can see you. Uh, by the way, you did beat Scott for the longest podcast, so or, or podcast segment. Well, uh, you, crap. you have now. All right, I was yeah. trying. I was trying to be the shortest, and apparently, I failed miserably at that. So, but tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me personally on Twitter at AndyMitch12. I do not only Kansas stuff, but also just general Big 12 um, as part of the 1012 podcast. And then uh, my my podcast, you can find Rock Chalk Podcast at Rock Chalk Pod on Twitter. And then I also uh, run the Sports Illustrated Fan Nation site covering the Kansas Jayhawks at BlueWingsRising.com. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Andy. We really appreciate it. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. All right, so we are going to keep the party going uh, as we go into game number 11. That's right, game number 11. We're going to be in Lubbock November 18th, which I actually believe is going to be a pretty exciting game going into it. I think both teams are going to have a nice record going into this game. Luckily, it's a home game because I wouldn't want to have to travel for this game. But our visit, our opposing team will have to travel for this game. And this will be the first time we will be playing one of the freshmen for or this team uh, part of the freshman four, and that is the Central Florida Knights or the UCF Knights. We will let them tell us which they prefer. So that is so. Let's bring on Adam and Mike from Sons of UCF podcast. What's going on, guys? Fellas, how are you? We we take UCF Knights. That's usually what we what we have. Uh, don't call us Golden Knights. It's been a while for that. I'm okay with Central Florida. My biggest sin is a lot of people call us UFC. So don't call us UFC, and we're good. UCF Knights is is what I'll take. That's fair. That's, that's very similar to um, recruits make this mistake, unfortunately, too often. Of uh, the University of Texas Tech. And oh, it's, it's, it's very. Embarrassing. It, it gets it gets certain people on Twitter rattled riled up, rattled up. Like you know, how dare you? But uh, so same thing. So I definitely understand that one. Um, I have heard some people in your fan base aren't big fans of being called Central Florida. Um, yeah, I mean, but, that's that's li- you know. that's literally the name of the school, right? Like, so I, I can't be too mad at it. I mean, it's one of those things where we always get we always say you don't call it University of Southern California, right? You don't, you know, so we kind of do the same thing here. It's like, you know, you call them USC, you call us UCF, but we, it's literally Central Florida. That's the name of the school. So I can't be too mad at that. Golden Knights is not our name anymore. UFC is not even the right sport. So those are the two I think that make me more <laughs> mad. So, Adam, I got to do it to you because I do it to Jeremy all the time, and he'd be very upset if I if I went on and not did it to you. So, with that being said, uh, folks, you heard it here first. Adam is saying that UCF, just as good a program as USC, uh, right here, right? Just just flat out. So, I respect it. Yeah. Um, in a so, couple of years, actually, that may be true. <laughs> we'll see what, what Lincoln Riley can, can, can pull off. Yeah, yeah, you're actually you're not wrong. Um, so, guys, I want to both hear from both of you all as far as UCF going into 2023. Like, I was telling you all pre-pod. I actually believe that you out of the freshman four, and that's that's UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, BYU. 
y'all are the biggest wild card and y'all are the ones that scare me the most recruiting wise y'all have been near the top of the conference for recruiting for 2024 and 2025 um and you're bringing the most people back for this season out of the four you're really the only ones of the freshman four that people don't have towards the bottom of the conference so how do you feel uh, and i'll start with you adam how do you feel uh going into 2023 I think UCF is incredibly optimistic. You mentioned it. We've got a lot of returning talent. Um, Gus Malzahn did a fantastic job in the transfer portal, plugging some holes of some kids who left and graduated. So I feel like from a, from a pure talent standpoint, and I say this a lot to everybody, I think our 11 versus your 11 and you can be the Royal. We not just Texas tech, but you, anybody, I think UCF feels really good about 11 on 11. I think we have talent, we have speed, we have depth, we have explosive plays. We have, we have big, large giant human beings. All of those things are good. I think UCF season will come down to really the depth. You know, if we go too deep and three deep, can UCF keep up at that point right if our starting safety gets hit with a bogus you know targeting call in the first half or do we have someone who's going to come in and be able to play reps and, and play well but i think ucf feels very optimistic it's going to really boil down to me and i know i'm sure this name will come up a time or two in the conversation guys but it's going to come down to jrp john rice palmley the quarterback if if you get good jrp jrp you can throw the ball down the field i think we're good if you get bad jrp and if you're not familiar with what that looks like just pull up ucf first navy last year or ucf first ecu last year and you can see what a bad john rice palmley looks like but if you get good jrp i think you have enough has enough talent i think there's a lot of optimism that they can compete gus malzahn said they've been planning this for two three years now so i think they feel like they can compete um in year one of the big 12 i don't know if we're gonna win the whole thing but i i think their their goal to compete i think this is a team that feels like they can put some w's on the board yeah guys i think ucf for the last decade in the american conference we we're, we've been at the top of that conference every year we've won it four times we played in the championship game last year and i feel like the fans feel that we could have competed with to being in the Big 12 for the last 10 years. We could have competed in the ACC. I think we, we feel like we're better than the bottom half teams in those conferences. Maybe we couldn't have won it four times, but I think we could have been com- very competitive for the last five seasons at least. Going back to th- 2017, I think we would have been in the top half of the Big 12. That's a, that's a very good point, Mike. I, I was, again, telling you on pre-pod, last year when we, we met everybody from the freshman four, uh, we had you, uh, a representative from UCF come on. We had a representative from Cincinnati, Houston. And all three of y'all that were coming into the Big 12 said, 2022, we want to have a great season. We want to win the AAC and go into the Big 12 on a high. And y'all are the only ones that actually succeeded in at least getting to the championship game, right? Cincinnati and Houston weren't able to kind of go in on that, and they're not really coming into the conference on a high. So that's a very good point. And, and you know, I, I, I'm sure you saw us nodding. I don't think Jeremy and I really disagree that UCF would have been competitive at the very least the last few years in the Big 12. So you talked to Adam a lot about JRP. Um, so to me, I think he's, you know, he is, he's one of the better returning quarterbacks, in my opinion. Um, and this offense, especially with Gus Malzahn, a guy that's known for offense, um, seems to be one of the better offenses in the Big 12. Uh, Mike, I, I guess I'll start with you. I mean, what do you think about this offense and, and who else from this offense uh, should we get to know? Because we're going to know them more as the season goes on. They got a stacked running back room. It starts with R.J. Harvey coming back from coming back from last year, had a really big season. But there's a lot of depth in the running back room. You got young guys like Jordan McDonald coming in. He's a bigger back. Probably taking the role of Isaiah Bowser last year. You're going to see him down by the goal line in the Wild Knight package. Um, the receivers, you got a couple of experienced guys out on the outside. Javon Baker, Kobe Hudson had good seasons last year. And now you're hoping with Plumlee's improvement in the passing game, they can improve even more. And then you got guys coming in from the transfer portal. Corey Gamage, 
is a big receiver coming over from Marshall, 6'4", 230 guy. That's what's been missing. UCF has had a lot of speedsters, a lot of small guys uh, that can do a lot of things in the middle, but we've been missing that big target, and I think Gamage is going to fill that role. And then you got a couple other guys that are developing from last year. Um, uh, Xavier Townsend showed some things last year as a true freshman. He can do damage as a punt returner, kick returner. He's kind of a jack of all trades where he can you can put him in the slot, you can put him outside, he can do all kinds of things. And it's a very diverse group. Weapons-wise, I think we can match up with almost anybody in this conference. Running back receivers, I'd put him up against anybody. The question is going to be the guys up front, the offensive line. How are they going to stack up? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. You, you said um, JRP is one of the best recruiting, returning quarterbacks in the nation, and UCF fans are probably going to kill me for this. I, I disagree with that. I think he's one of the best returning athletes in the nation. In the conference. In, in the, whatever. In the conference in the <laughs> nation. I think he's one of the best. Let me not, let me not bring it to you. Okay, that's fair <laughs> enough. That's fair enough. Although he didn't make some lists. I think he's one of the best athletes that's out there, and I think that's the challenge. Last year, he, he's a tremendous athlete. We have, we've had people tell us he's legitimately the fastest guy in the team like legit, like line him up for 40, JRP is going to win that race, which you don't see a lot out of the quarterback position, right? But the challenge last year was he hadn't played quarterback in such a long time that I think there were some things about his game that needed to improve. People talk about his accuracy, and I think that's a, that's a, that's a fair conversation. For me, it was more about decision-making. I mean, he would lock onto a read. If that wasn't there, he would just tuck on the ball and running. Uh, and, and while that's okay because he's fast and he can outrun people, he also either didn't play or didn't finish in five games last year. So he can't keep taking these hits and want to play quarterback. So I think if he's going to be a good returning quarterback, we have to see can he play from the pocket? Can he throw downfield? Can he make the right read? Can he put the ball in receivers? We know that he can tuck that thing and, and run it and make it look fantastic and jump over six guys from Temple and finger roll the ball in the end zone. That looks fantastic. But he took a lot of hits last year. And, and can he hang in there and actually sling the rock this year? That's the the, that's going to be the difference in this offense for UCF. Mike mentioned all the weapons, but none of that helps if we can't hit the ball in their hands. And I think that's where JRP is going to have to be kind of that true point guard, distribute the football, get it to the right hands and let the fast guys do what fast guys do. And uh, if he can do that, this offense has a lot to be excited about. So here's one thing I think JRP has, John Reese probably has in his advantage. Right? Some people may cringe when I say this. Um, he is a white guy named John Reese Plummer. And if I'm a defensive end going up against a white quarterback named John Reese Plumley, I'm not thinking anything about him athletically. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at him and be like, oh, I can get this guy. And he has, the, and he has what the an, uh, national analysts like to say, deceptive speed, right? Because you don't know anything about him. You're saying, oh, this, this guy can get him. And I think that's one of the advantages of being in a new conference, right? Dylan Gabriel, I think, when he was coming from UCF to, to Oklahoma, everybody knew he you, you knew who Dylan Gabriel was, right? You, you had the, the national championship year. He, he was kind of known. I feel like Plumlee is a lot less known nationally. And so you're coming into this new conference and, and a lot of, you know, not just Big 12 fans, but I think a lot of Big 12 players that aren't coached up well enough may just say, okay, well, UCF, we don't know much about this team. You're telling me this guy's athletic, but I don't really see athleticism. And then before you know it, like you said, he's leaping over again. Yeah, I think, you know, on tape, he may look like, hey, this guy's this guy seems like he's fast, but I can catch him. And then you get on the field and you realize he runs by you. He, he may have some of that. I mean, you look at his highlights. I mean, and to Mike's point, we were obviously playing the likes of Temple and, uh, and USF. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. But he, he was just running past dudes. Uh, and so I, I think it's interesting to see if, if if defensive coordinators and defensive players cut the film on and see him go, OK, yeah, fine, he's fast, but I got him. And then he gets out on the edge and he's gone. Uh, he, he may have that opportunity, but I think the key is if you know he's going to run at some point, 
you know, why not stack the box and make them throw the football? And I think if, if you're a smart defensive coordinator, at some point you're going to test and say, okay, can this kid throw the football? Let me, let me put eight, nine in the box and let me just see if he can throw the ball. And if he continues to struggle on that or tries to pull it down and, and, and make plays with his legs that aren't there, that's where UCF's offense sputtered last year. So I think that'll be a big thing to watch for is, is can a defensive coordinator force him to, to throw the ball? And if that happens, will he be successful in that? Well, I think um, it sounds awesome. He sounds fantastic. Central focal point of your team can take you to great heights. The problem is, for me, in the Big 12, it seems like everybody's got a dual-threat quarterback who can go out and make a play. And so um, the, the question for me then becomes, you know, how does UCF adjust their play style, their tempo, to just meet the new style of play in the Big 12 where it's not unfamiliar for teams to see talented quarterbacks both running uh, and gunning. And so with defense in mind, I know that you guys just had a departure of Travis Williams took the job at Arkansas. So you just promoted Addison Williams up to defensive coordinator. Tell us a little bit about what UCF is bringing to the table because, I mean, we have uh, even the most casual football fans for the past five years have seen UCF like climb their way into relevancy. Like despite many people's wishes have been continually good, never backing down from challenging. I mean, you guys beat Florida in a bowl. Like you've just never been afraid to go up and bat against the big guys. And I've been waiting for the break to get an opportunity to really show the grit here. But I think something that's UCF has, in my opinion, again, as casual is casual UCF night fan. Um, the, the defense has never been anything extraordinary, but that's not a problem in the big 12 because nobody's defense in the big 12 is extraordinary. So what do you guys with a new defensive coordinator kind of with this new idea about your identity? What, what is the defense going to look like going into this year as you're ready to kind of set the stage for your position in the big 12? Well, the defense, I think, gets that reputation based on the last few years, starting with uh, Scott Frost. When he came to town, he sped things up, and it was all offense. We were putting up 60, 70 points. Heupel kept that going for a couple seasons, too. And Malzahn came in with, with that reputation as fast-paced offense, all that. But if you go back years before that, UCF was actually a better defensive team in the George O'Leary years. So they've had years where the defense was actually better. Now, this year's team is supposed to be more balanced. Uh, you got new coordinators on both sides of the ball, offense and defense. The defensive coordinator, Addison Williams, is his first year as a defensive coordinator. So we're still going to be learning as we go to watching this team. But what we do know is we have guys up front that can create pressure. And I think that's going to be the big thing. If they can do it, getting pressure on the quarterback with just four guys and not have to rely on blitzing on the outside and using linebackers to blitz, I think they're going to have some success. Because you got some guys uh, that have a lot of experience. Traymond Morris, Brash. A defensive end, Joshua Seliscar is the other defensive end. If those guys can create pressure, you got Ricky Barber up the middle, who's a big run stopper. Uh, I, I think the defense can have success, but it's going to depend on that defensive line. And then to give the, the younger guys in the secondary some time, some not as much time to have to cover, and I think the defense will be okay. I mean, it's still going to be putting up points. This is the Big 12. I understand that. But that that's going to be the key. If you can play some defense, if you can force a couple three and outs here and there, and then make your offense be the defense. Make your offense stay out there and run the ball with the guys I mentioned earlier. I think you, you can you, win some You have games. no idea how many times we have said, if only we have an average defense, we could have done some damage this year, especially with Patrick Mahomes. So I totally understand that. 
Yeah, I, I think for me, guys, it's, you know, Addison Williams is an unknown. I mean, he, he's never been a coordinator at this level before. Uh, he was an internal promote Travis, after Travis Williams left. And and one of the things that I think that, that really helps UCF is that when Travis Williams left, Addison Williams kept a lot of those kids here. Right. We're in, we're in the transfer portal age where people get in the portal for, you know, they get a bad grade on a math quiz and they're in the portal the next day. Right. So you lose your defensive coordinator and you think, oh, goodness, we're going to have a max mass exodus. We didn't have that. And so I think that continuity was a big part of his his ascension into the role. Uh, but we don't know what to expect from him. I will tell you last season, again, under Travis Williams and Addison Williams was the defensive backs coach. Our defensive backs played about 16 to 17 yards off the line of scrimmage. It was ridiculous how far back we were playing in coverage. If you watch the Tulane championship game, I mean, they essentially just ran five yards, turn around, they were wide open. And so I think what UCF wants to understand this year from a defense standpoint is how aggressive are we going to be? Do we have corners that can get up and press? Do we have, you know, do we have safeties over the top that can help out and, and um, you know, and, and make plays if, if teams go deep on us? But the defense is an unknown. There are some names and some guys to be excited about, some talent that's coming back. But how it all comes together, I think last season, you know, the defense had its moments where I said early in the year, they kind of carried the team while John Rice Plumlee figured out how to play quarterback and how we how the offense came together and the second half of the season it was really the offense and the defense sort of you know let the foot off the gas so it's it's a big question mark and on how UCF's defense can hold up I think Mike hit it on the head if we can force turnovers which sometimes is skill sometimes is luck right if we can force some turnovers and 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 flip some plays I think UCF has a chance with the offense but the defense right now I don't think anybody would tell you yeah we feel like we're gonna have a top yeah, top half defense in in the big 12 I don't, I don't know that any of us can sit here and tell you that right now so one thing you kind of mentioned earlier as far as uh, the transfers coming in and when we were recording with Houston, we, we noticed a lot of the transfers that came into Houston were power conference players, right? Former power conference players that kind of came into their team and Dana Hogerson really trying to get people that have been here. Now, for y'all, a lot of the transfers that I've seen kind of coming into UCF, with the exception of, I think, Ryan Davis that came from Georgia, and I think there was another guy that came from Alabama, uh, it seems like a, it's kind of a, not necessarily a different philosophy. It just seems like you haven't changed what you were already doing, right? You're just getting the best players available regardless of what school they went to. Is there, when it comes to transfers, do you feel like there's a need to change the philosophy or it ain't broke, so why fix it? Yeah, I'd say the second part. I think what UCF's done is a couple of things. One is they've been very opportunistic by position. Like we had it, we just had a linebacker depth issue. Uh, and so we lose linebackers, right? So you go to the portal and you know, who's in who's in there from a linebacker standpoint. Two years ago, we got a kid named Jason Johnson out of Eastern Illinois, who was an FCS level player, but played, you know, four or five years there, right? Uh, and, and played really well at that level, but just hadn't played at, at, at this level. Came in and led the team in tackles last year. You know, two years ago, we, we picked up a kid named Kobe Perry. Again, four years, I think at Austin P. he comes in and, and he, he was one of the leaders in the secondary. So I think what Gus has tried to do is find guys who have played a lot of football at a high level and have some experience and bring them over here and rely on them to be able to leverage that experience to be successful. But I think a lot of what UCF's done has been position-based opportunistic. But I will tell you on the offensive side, I mean, uh, Javon Baker comes from from Alabama. Uh, Kobe Hudson comes from from Auburn. So Gus has, Gus has certainly gotten some of those guys in the portal. And I think what he's done strategically now and what he's doing from his time at Auburn is I think his philosophy has been, and I think it's really interesting. He's recruiting these kids. It just happened. We just flipped a kid named Derek LeBlanc from Oklahoma to UCF. He's recruiting these kids hard in Orlando. He's trying to get them to stay home. And you know what? They can't. They're going to they're gonna go to that Oklahoma. They're going to go to that Penn State. They're going to go to that Georgia because that's the school you're supposed to go to, right? You're supposed to go to these power schools, these blue blood schools, right? And they get there and they realize they're the ninth linebacker on the depth chart. You know, they, they, it's freezing cold. And after three months, they want out of there. Well, guess who's there ready to open up their arms and welcome you back because they were good buddies six months ago. 
your good friend, Uncle Gus Malzahn. So that's been his strategy is going after guys that he knows and had relationships with. And they don't always pick UCF the first time around. They want to go someplace else. They want to chase the bag. They want to they want to get the name on the on the side of the helmet or, as opposed to get playing time. But six months later, they need a home and UCF's perfectly capable and, and happy to have those folks. So I think it's kind of twofold. I think he's really gone by position need. I think he mines the FCS level and finds talented players there. I think he leverages, you know, the relationships he's built and the guys who didn't choose him initially to go, hey, wait a minute, you know, we're still here, right? We still love you. We're still your, we're still your spot. And, uh, and now they come back to UCF. So I think that's largely been how he's attacked the transfer portal. Hey guys, I know we have brought in guys from big name schools. A couple of years ago, we brought over Brandon Wimbush, who was supposed to be the new quarterback coming over from Notre Dame, right? And everybody was all hyping him up and he turned out to not even make it past game two. And, and Dylan Gabriel took his job. We, we brought in a kid named Joey Gatewood coming over from Kentucky. He was supposed to be a fantastic athlete, run the wild night package. He stunk. Okay. I, I kind of like bringing in guys from schools that are taking a step up. Texas Tech basketball would 100% agree with you. I feel like that's all of our transfers on the basketball side are, are from that guy making the step up. And recently it's worked with the exception of last year. We don't talk about last year. Um, so uh, Texas Tech and UCF. We're going to play November 18th in Lubbock, in the Jones. Uh, should be a great time. Uh, usually when we we have guests on, we talk about, you know, the previous matchups and who's going to win in the series and this, that, and the other. Guess what, guys? Whoever wins this year takes the lead in the series. This is our first ever matchup between Texas Tech and UCF. So it should be a good time. Adam, what do you think the key to, to the game will be for UCF? And can you give me a score prediction? So we, we've done some research on Lubbock. We've had some folks on from other shows. We had the, the Chamber of Commerce director on from Lubbock just to learn more about Lubbock as a, as a city, as a populace. And from what I understand, it actually may be cold at that time of the year in Lubbock. It may be a little chillier, November 18th. It's a night game, especially. I think that's one thing. Look, you see, we're in Orlando. It's like 900 degrees every day. Uh, and so I think playing in the cold hasn't always been a strength of UCF. So if it's a little frigid, a little chilly, it's a night game, you know, and, and the crowd's into it. I think that there certainly could be some element of UCF having to, uh, they're not the, the, we're not the fastest starting team. It feels like we really kind of start slow in games. If they get down early, you know, it could be a situation where we're not able to, to come back. So for, for my view, I think this is going to be a really tight, close game. I think, you know, Texas Tech, obviously, Joe McGuire's got, done a great job in year one. Um, I think there's a lot to be excited about, it, obviously, if you're a Texas Tech fan. I think it's going to be a tough game. I think it's one of these games that comes down to, you know, a 38-35 sort of field goal at the, at the buzzer. You know, I, I got to go UCF. I mean, I can't give it to Texas Tech, right? So I got to say we hit that we hit the game-winning field goal. But I, I think it's a close game. Mike and I on, on our pod this week, we're going to do kind of a game-by-game schedule review. And what we typically do is, as opposed to acting like we know anything, right? Because none of us know anything and saying, I know who's going to win the game. We do like confidence points, right? So how many confidence points do I give? I, I don't have a lot of confidence points. I'm willing to, to, to lay on this game. I, I think it could easily go that way. But if, if I you know picked up the internet the next day and saw that Texas Tech won, I wouldn't be like, oh my goodness, what an upset. So I, th- I think it's going to be a tough game. I think it's going to be an interesting atmosphere, interesting uh, opportunity for, uh, for, for UCF. But I don't think Texas Tech is going to be a pushover. So I will say when I was in school, um, Texas, they had weather channel had a big bracket, right? It was March. They had a big bracket, 64 cities, and it was the worst weather city in America. And guess who won? 
good old Lubbock, Texas. On the worst weather city in America, we beat Provo, Utah. Uh, so that, uh, yeah, yeah. So I remember that year, day, year that like it was yesterday, simply because one day it was 95 degrees. Everybody was in the pool. There were pool parties everywhere. That night it dropped down to 30. The next day it was single digits and snowing. Right. So that's that's Lubbock, Texas for you. Um, so yeah, but you're absolutely right. By November. Uh, it very well, it won't be hot. I'll tell you that much. It could be ice on the roads. It could be snowing by that point. Um, and so it'll definitely, that'll definitely play an advantage. And now hearing you speak, I didn't even think about that. I hope it's freezing. Uh, I'm not, not, not going to lie to y'all. So I, w- I will do something a little bit easier than a score prediction for week 11 uh, or for the 11th game, I should say. Um, what is your record prediction for UCF and where do you think they land if they make a bowl game? <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to look at the schedule, right? And, and I talk about confidence points. Here, here are the games that concern me the most. Kansas State at Kansas State. Yeah, that, that one concerns me right there. Obviously, a really good football team. Oklahoma at Oklahoma. I'd love to stick it to Dylan Gabriel. I'd love to come up with a, with a W there. But that feels like a pretty tough task. Although Oklahoma's defense was trash last year. So let's see how, how that rebounds. Texas Tech being in Texas Tech. That's another game that scares me a little bit. And then you get the toss-ups between like, hey, is, is Baylor going to be any good? Is Oklahoma State going to be any good? Like if we drop one of those on a tip pass, uh, an injured quarterback, right? Some 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 sort of weirdness happened. So I'm in the same boat with Mike. I'm probably more seven, eight is my win is my win mark just because I'm going to, I'm a negative person. A, and I'm going to always assume that we're going to have a ball bounce off somebody's helmet and go the other way for a hundred yard touchdown. So uh, I, I, I'm really concerned about those. We've been there. That's fair. Uh, I'm really concerned about those three though. I think Kansas state, I think Oklahoma, I think Texas tech on the road to Mike's point. We're not a good road team. I think those are going to be three that are really, really going to be tough to win. And then that, that puts your margin for error at home really, really small. Right. So you can't fumble a, on the goal line against Baylor and you can't blow coverage against Oklahoma state or else all of a sudden that's another loss. So I think that, I think that eight win total, I guess I'll round it. I'll give you that eight win total as, as where I want to see us. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thanks Adam. Thanks Mike. Go ahead and tell us where we can find where one, your Twitter accounts, where we can find you, where we can listen, where everyone can listen to your podcast, all that good stuff. Yeah, Twitter, Twitter X, whatever we're calling it these days, uh, at Sons of UCF. So just search us on there. Same thing on Instagram, same thing on Facebook. Uh, you can find us at Sons of UCF everywhere. We have a, a a pretty pretty cool YouTube channel. We do a lot of player interviews, a lot of uh, a lot of on ground stuff uh, with uh, with media guys there. So you can find the YouTube channel at Sons of UCF. Give that a subscription. That'd be fantastic. And then the audio pod available wherever you get your quality podcast: Apple, Spotify, Spotify, Google Play, all that good jazz. And then you can follow Mike on Twitter at UCF Mike one. He's a great follow. He'll get on there every four days, call you stupid and then log off for three days. So you want to, you want to check all that stuff out. Uh, we do a couple of shows a week. We do a live show on Thursdays on, on, uh, uh, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, 8 PM. So if you're on the YouTube channel, you'll, uh, you'll find our live show there. Mike has got the recipe for social media down. He's like, let me just run in, <laughs> drop a bomb <laughs> yeah, and just leave. Absolutely. Yeah. He runs in, <laughs> th- throws a grenade, <laughs> Throws a grenade, runs off with a pin, comes back a few days later and goes, you guys looking for this? Every time. That's fantastic. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Mike, for joining the podcast. We really appreciate it. And we will see you all November 18th. Thanks, fellas. Go Knights. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. 
right, so as we finish with UCF, we're now on to game number 12, the last game of the regular season. And as of right now, the last game in the Texas-Texas Tech rivalry. Um, and, you know, what was great about last year is that we played Oklahoma, we beat Oklahoma, and we'll never play them again. Like, we, that we that Oklahoma fans can't tell me nothing because from here on out, we own the series because we won the last game. Right. And I wish I could have said the same thing for Texas, but unfortunately we scheduled them one more time. So we will see. It's going to be in Austin, right? November 25th. And it'll be quite the game because both teams for the first time, arguably since 2009 are both predicted to be really good. Right. And that game in 2009 was a pretty good game as well. Right. Also was in Austin and, and Colt McCoy was able to, uh, uh, beat out Taylor Potts uh, by a touchdown. So we will see if we have another good game. And to talk about, like I said, November 25th, sorry, 24th, um, at 7.30 at night in, in Austin. And to talk about that game is our good friend, Gerald Goodridge from the Longhorn Podcast. What is going on, Gerald? <laughs> I'm I'm still here. I just killed uh, my camera. What's, what's going on, Gerald? With. He's like, screw <laughs> No, sorry. No, uh, my, I, hopefully, I don't know what's going on with the bandwidth, but I turned off my camera. Hopefully that helps. Um, you guys don't want to look at it. Well, I think, I think that, so Jeremy might've flashed the horns down and you just felt so disrespected that you were like, how dare you? And you were like, I'm, I'm turning this off. I mean, the, I love the, the history of the horns down, like is through Texas tech, right? Like we, like, that's my favorite story in the world is that, um, you know, a Texas player, absolutely toasted texas tech on a kick return in uh lubbock did the did the guns down got flagged for it and then mac brown did the mac brown thing and complained about it post game and that's that's all she wrote so like that's where the horns down thing started i love that 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 is the deepest deepest part of the horns down lore involves the problem with the horns down and i know this is not what this episode is about but the problem with the horns down is is that i actually of the belief i I used to be of the belief that horns down was corny I, I I never really liked it. Like even as I when I was in school, like I never I thought it was just a just a corny you know thing to do, and I feel like it wasn't popular. It was things that people always just did just to do, but it wasn't really popular until you know there was griping from Mac, and then there was griping from uh, Tom Herman, and then there was the whole Big Twelve conference saying that that's going to be a penalty. And once you tell everybody they can't do something, then everybody decides we're going to do that. Yeah. Then it became a cultural, like, uh, it became like this cultural movement. It wasn't even just in the Big 12 anymore. Everybody wanted to hit the, they were like, please give me Texas in a bowl game. I went to West Virginia game two years ago and people were saying like, oh, hey, Texas Tech, horns down, you're with us, right? Like, wait, what? <laughs> There's nothing to do with Texas. <laughs> That that's that's my thing. Like like when you're playing Texas, do the horns down. I love it. Like it's great. It's a rivalry. It's what it should be. But like when Texas is not even involved with the game, and I see people doing like flashing the horns down, that's what I think is corny, right? Like get us off your mind. Like it's it's some jealous ex girlfriend stuff. Like just leave. Like just move on. It's okay. Like if Texas is there, I love it. Right. That's what college football is about. I, one of my one of my best friends in the world um, is is an A and M fan, and like it, it is it's heated. The horns down happens all the time but like i'm if, if texas is not on the scene like why are you doing it like get us off well, so as we go into the 2022 season 2023 season one team i am very upset you're not playing is oklahoma state because you won't get to see alan bowman and his idiotic horns uh, horns down that i will never forget but anyways as we go into 2023 talk to us about the texas longhorns who for the first time in probably in over a decade might actually deserve the hype that you're getting right like you legitimately look like 
a Big 12 title contender. You look like a college football playoff contender. And that game number two in Tuscaloosa, if you find a way to win that game, you're, you're going to be – right now you're 11th in the preseason rankings. You're going to be top five, maybe even top three if you win that game. So talk – what are your feelings about this Texas Longhorn team as you just had two players named in the preseason as a preseason All-American? Uh, I – I've been burned too many times to really feel uh, actually good about this. It's almost you wait for the other shoe to drop. It's like uh, I feel like it's like the end of a horror movie when it when like everything seems to be settled, but you're waiting for that last like jump scare. That's what this season feels like to me in a lot of ways, especially because, you know, this is Texas's last year in the Big 12. But um, yeah, I think it feels different to me specifically because I think um you know, the argument is, you know, the argument against Texas is, well, Texas always has talent. They've always recruited well, but I think um, the mix of talent is different, right? When Steve Sarkeesian showed up, uh, he, he like literally went in a press conference and like kind of dumped on Tom Herman a little bit. I was like, I, this, the roster composition is weird. I've never seen a roster with more uh, scholarship wide receivers than offensive linemen was the actual statement he made. Um, and that was, that was kind of a, a rallying point for him. And they did a complete roster flip. They had a massive uh, haul in the offensive line in their first uh, recruiting class. I think like half of their first recruiting class was either offensive or defensive lineman, right? It's like, that's where I think the difference is between this Texas class or this Texas year and the rest of the Texas hype, because let's be honest, Tom Herman's like vaunted recruiting rankings were floated by five-star safeties and receivers. And when push comes to show football's a game, that's one of the trenches, right? And so I think that's the difference and why I think the hype for Texas is probably more founded this year. The offensive line is better. The defensive line is better. They've got legitimate NFL draft picks on both sides of the, of the ball on the offensive and defensive line. I think that's a big difference uh, for Texas and why I think I'm a little more hopeful. Like you mentioned the two All-Americans, Kelvin Kelvin Banks, left tackle probably going to be a top five pick next year. He's only a sophomore. Uh, so like that, that to me is the big differentiator for Texas and why uh, I am less worried about the, the hype than I have been in years past. But uh, yeah, this is probably the best, most complete team since like you mentioned 2009. It's probably the most complete team since then. And that was a team that went to the national championship and played Alabama. And um, so <laughs> that'll be very interesting. So talk about the offense a little bit. Uh, so we, we talked, you, you know, Xavier Worthy was the other one that made that that preseason All-American. And then you have Quinn Ewers. And a lot of people, though he didn't make the preseason All-Big 12 team, um, a lot of people, he didn't make the PFF All-Big 12 team. And a lot of people think he's the best quarterback in the conference. Uh, you know, what about Quinn Ewers makes him, you know, he had a, kind of an up and down season last year. He had the injury problems with the shoulder injury. But what about him makes this team go? Um, what makes you so confident in him? And what else on the offensive side, especially with the uh, uh, um, skill position players, uh, has you excited for this offense? Yeah, I, I hesitate to call Quinn Ewers the best quarterback in the conference. I think he might be the most raw, talented quarterback in the conference, but I think you've got to show it on the field to be the best, right? You've got guys with all sorts of arm talent that can't win a football game. And so that's part of like Quinn actively lost a couple of football games for Texas last year. So I think that's a differentiator. Like, is he the most talented quarterback in the conference? Yeah, I would say that. I mean, the recruiting rankings bear it out. The, the already NFL draft hype bears that out. But I think, um, you know, last year, and even he admitted it to, to members of the media uh, toward the end of the year, like his fundamentals were lazy. His feet were bad, his eyes were bad, and he made bad decisions because of that. And he made some bad throws because of it. So I think um, he's a kid that's gotten by on being head and shoulders the best player on the field from, I don't know, 
six, seven years old for peewees, right? Like he's always been that dude. And so he hasn't really had to be sound fundamentally uh, when it comes to those things. And so that was part of what he did this off season. And the big focus for him this off season was like, just do the little things, right. Do the little things, you know, well, and the rest of it takes care of itself. Cause the arm strength is there, right? The, the kid's got a rocket. Um, but if you can't put it in the right spot, cause your feet are bad or your eyes are bad, you know, it doesn't really matter. So uh, that was his big focus. And part of, you know, the, the reshaping his body thing has really been everybody. He's, he looks better than he has all year. You know, it's like everybody says that. It's every offseason is the best offseason in the world, right? Um, but I think for right for but for him, I think it really um the the mental focus that I think I mean we'll see what bears it out on Saturdays, but I think he um at least according to everything the coaches are saying, and you know, Steve Sarkees has never shied away from calling him out publicly, which I appreciate. Um you know, he's done a good job, or at least said he's done a good job of getting those little fundamental things right, which um, shows itself out in the way he can you know, make some throws and put the ball in spots. And um, this wide receiver room probably as good as, as it's been in, like you said, a decade. I mean, you've got Xavier Worthy leading the way. Jordan Whittington is a guy who was a five-star coming out of high school. Um, he wore, he had too much weight on his body. I think it was a lot of it. And so he struggled with injuries. And so um, he's really dedicated himself to being healthy and kind of sh- reshaping the way he eats and takes care of himself and shed a bunch of that muscle mass that he had. So he's played really well. Um, A.D. Mitchell transfers in from Georgia. Big win for Texas there. Um, kind of bring a complimentary piece to Xavier Worthy, a guy who can go um, and run those deep balls and run those routes that Xavier Worthy probably isn't necessarily the best at. Um, and those are, your, those are your top three guys. You've got Jatavian Sanders at tight end, who's probably going to be an NFL draft pick this year. Um, and I, Jatavian Sanders is a living legend for me because he got Matt Campbell in Matt Campbell's head in that Iowa State game last year. If you go back and watch the Texas-Iowa State game, Matt Campbell was losing his mind. It's because uh, Jatavian Sanders was talking mad crap every time he was on that sideline. It's just best thing in the world um and then like that's your that that's your those are starting four and then you've got guys like you know jonte cook who everybody in the world wanted last year who's going to play quite a bit um you know you've got isaiah nahor who was a massive uh, transfer win for texas last year didn't get to play because he blew his acl it's like that receiver room is stacked i think the big question is that running back you know you lose both Bijan robinson and roshan johnson to the nfl and both those guys are probably going to be uh Bijan's going to start i think roshan's going to get his fair share of carries uh in chicago so can Jonathan Brooks, who was a massive, massive, uh, great parting gift from Stan Drayton before he went to go to Temple. Um, you know, Jonathan Brooks was kind of a diamond in the rough kid, a three-star kid that Stan Drayton went out and found. And he's got, I hate comparing running backs, but he feels like a, um, almost like the, the Coke Zero version of Bijan in a lot of ways, a lot of similarities, but not necessarily the top end talent, right? Uh, not the first thing you reach for. So, uh, but I love him. I've been on the Jonathan Brooks train since he got the offer, like four years ago, I was all over it. Um, but so, you know, can he carry the rocket? If he can't, CJ Baxter's right there, five-star kid from uh, Florida last year. So uh, there's a lot of talent in those skill positions. You know, is it going to materialize into offensive production? We'll see. So, yeah, good offensive all across the board. Amazing offense, star-studded, blah, blah, blah. We've heard it all, Gerald. We've heard it all, man. Uh, seen no, it all before. I've seen it all before. You can't fool me. Um, there's a lot going for it. And I think one of the biggest questions for me uh, and a graphic today reminded me of it was just the quarterback room as a whole, right? Because something the Big 12 really enjoys doing um, on average, not everybody, but some of us partake is we have our QB one go down 
for quite a while, right? We, we always like to dig a little deeper into the depth chart. And so I'm interested to see, you know, how game ready QB2 and QB3 are for Texas in the event that, you know, qu- something does happen to Ewers. So have you heard anything about uh, man yeah, get, get, or the get other it guy out, that Jeremy. gives you You kind want of, to know about Arch. Get it out. You want to know about Arch. <laughs> tell, me <okay>? about, <laughs> tell me about the Arch, the Arch factor. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I'm of... Part of the reason why Arch committed to Texas was because there wasn't going to be pressure for him to start and come in and be the savior. That was part of the part of the conversation that he and his family had. And I think that's uh, super wise because he played in a you know small private school in Louisiana against a bunch of dentists and, and accountants. Right. So like that's um, part of adjusting to the speed of the game. He's got all the he's got all the intangibles. He uh, apparently lit it up in the last scrimmage, you know, throwing throwing deep balls to Jonte Cook. I'm excited to see that in the future. Um, but I think if if. Ewers goes down, it's probably going to be the Malik Murphy show. And I'm excited to see that. I think Malik Murphy, um, he struggled a bit with his, um, with his kind of adjusting. He was in a small California school was again, one of two decent players on that team. So I think really having to figure out how to play at a high level has been a thing for him, but the guy's got a rocket, you know, he, Steve Sarkeesian wanted him at Alabama when he was there. So it wasn't like he was kind of a, a settling thing for him. You know, he was the number one quarterback in the nation for a while in his class. So um, I think if, if, if viewers does go down, Murphy's going to be the first guy off the bench. He's got a cannon. He's got a lot of good things going for him. I think if he can process at the right speed, then I think, you know, the sky's the limit with him. He's got a little bit more wheels than yours. He's also just a massive, massive human being. Like he's just a, just a big guy, like in the least weird way possible. He's just, he's just a dude. Right. Um, but uh, so I think those, those two guys, they're good. I mean, I think you don't want them to have to play this year, but uh, I feel okay. If they end up having to play, you know, they're, they're untested, but you know, they're both talented. Yeah, I can't wait to see Malik Murphy at Arkansas next year. That's really, I mean, he's, he's... <laughs> I, the the Texas quarterback to SMU pipeline remains strong. I, I actually think what, so. What you're happened. right, but I do think he's I, I he lo- he reminds me of KJ Jefferson, and I just see like they could see easily move him on and bring Murphy in, and I actually think that Murphy has the potential to have better arm talent than KJ Jefferson does. But they're both hundred percent massive human beings. Uh, so yeah, going over. So everybody's excited about Texas's offense, uh, and rightfully so, right? Yeah, like I said, you've earned it, earned it, that piece of it. Um, but not as many people are talking about Texas's defense. Should more people be talking about this? Who are some of the some of the big players on the defense um, that we really should have our eyes on that are not Jalen Ford? <laughs> I appreciate you throwing yeah. that caveat in there. Um, I mean, I think the the I think the guy who's going to surprise a lot of people on the defense is actually a freshman, Manny Muhammad. He's a kid from uh, Oak Cliff. He was one of the key pieces of that defense that really won up a state championship last year. Um, and talk out of camp is that he's probably going to be quarterback number one for them. Like he is um, a legitimate dude, right? And so you've got um, two starters from last year kind of battling out to be uh, two and three uh, in that rotation. I think the other guy that you really want to look out for um, that people aren't talking about as much is Jade Barrett. I think. Jade Barrett is like the most disrespected defensive back in the big 12. Like dude had uh, like two or three sacks last year, two interceptions and a pick six was like third or fourth on the team in tackles. Like, I don't know what that guy needs to do to get some national recognition unless he like legitimately wins a game for Texas. Um, And then folks will finally start talking about him. But I think Jade Barron's a guy um, in Pete Kwiatkowski's defense that like uh, nickelback is a really important position because they, they come in for run support um, and kind of have to be good at both. Right. You have a lot of DBs who are good at one or the other and that nickelback, 
quarterback really has to be good at both. And so I think he's a, he's a key piece. Um, and then I think the other guy, the big, the big transfer on the defense, um, Jalen Catalan is a guy who I lamented when he went to Arkansas and Texas kind of missed out on that recruitment. So getting him in Burt Orange kind of, um, it's not necessarily, um, soothing over all of the wounds, but it feels like it's, it's helping a little bit for him coming to Texas to really try to, um, you know, rehab his career. He's only, he's only had one season that he's made it through healthy. So he's had some injury problems. Uh, so that again, if he could be healthy, he's an NFL draft kind of guy. He's a guy who, who can play at that high level. And, um, if anybody has ever listened to me talk about Texas and the Texas defense over the last several years, the safeties have been my biggest headache. Like the safeties have been terrible. They've been out of position. They've been slow. Any, I think back to the TCU Quinton Johnson touchdown that put them ahead. And it's because the safety was just, just in, he was in the wrong like zip code really was what it was. He was in, he was in Buda. He should have been in Austin. Um, but like, so having somebody back there like that, uh, come, Pairing with a kid uh, named Jaron Thompson, he goes by Bug Bug Thompson. Uh, back there is another. You know, he's a guy who last year was a fr- was a uh, untested guy, but he's got a high level of talent. So I really think um, the secondary has the opportunity to be a strength for Texas. The ceiling is really high. Uh, I don't know what necessarily the floor is for them. Uh, I think that is going to be a question. And then edge rushers. I, I'm not sure what that's going to be. Um, Ethan Burke's a name to watch. He's a kid who uh, was a late flip from Michigan. He's got like that, the, the freaky long arms that everybody likes in an edge rusher. Uh, he's got a high motor kind of guy, uh, which I hate that cliche, but it is what it is, right? He's like, doesn't take a playoff kind of situation. Uh, but he's a guy who I think can, uh, will come in and probably have something to say about um, what the Texas defense could do. So, and, and yes, for everyone wondering what Ethan Burke looks like, yes, he's a white guy. That's that's I mean it's yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it's if you could you could have said he's from Westlake and gotten the same facts. result. Um, so let's let's talk about it. November twenty fourth, right? It's it's already going to be a high profile game, game of the year. You know, it's, it's, they already have the time. College game day. Let's I, just call it, it. it. Really, it actually could be. I'm not. That's not even hey. hyperbole, right? It legitimately Legit. could be. Um, and like I said, this is the first time in two thousand and nine that both teams are highly regarded right like texas tech we will roll out bob knight once more <laughs> if we get coach game day. we'll roll him out <laughs> i actually don't know if we would do that but <laughs> maybe not in 2023 <laughs> no yeah you're right well, he's gonna stay yeah, right you know, bob, bob hey man <laughs> sorry old man <laughs> we've had enough problematic love you uh problematic lebuckins recently so anyways um so let's talk about that game a little bit I would give me a reason why you believe Texas will win that game and give me a score prediction. And yes, we're asking you to give a score prediction. We're giving you, we're asking you to give a score prediction. Uh, was it three months in advance? Yes. Um, I think, I think my big reason why I think, um, one, I don't know if Tyler Shuck's going to be able to stay healthy for 12 games because we, we've yet to see that, right? I think Tyler, Tyler Shuck is a differentiator for Texas Tech in my mind. Like, if he's there, they're going to be everything that they need to be. But um, I think the reason why Texas is going to win that game is, one, like playing in Austin last time they're playing Texas Tech. Um, in years past, Texas has been not necessarily the scariest place to play, but I think in the last several years, they've really done a good job of creating a legitimate home field advantage. And I just think it's horses in the barn, right? Texas can run out in the fourth quarter. They're going to have fresh legs of of five-star wide receivers. They're going to have fresh legs um, at running back of five-star running back. So I think there's just, um, 
I think the 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 top the top like the ones against ones. I think Texas is is you know Texas takes a relatively even match, but I think um, as far as longevity goes, I think Texas just has uh, maybe a depth edge as far as like talented depth, right? You know the 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 fifth guy off the bench at Texas may have a talent edge off in the over the fifth guy off the bench. Um, for Texas Tech. So I think that necessarily for me is going to be uh, the big differentiator. And then I, again, I wear burnt orange colored glasses. So I think, um, you know, I, I, I just, I, this is a different Texas team. This is not a team that I think is going to fold like Texas has in the past. Like they folded last year uh, in Lubbock. So I think that's going to be the, the, it's a, it's a mental game for this team. And I just feel uh, based off everything you're saying. And again, I said it, you know, pre-show everybody has the best off season. Right. But I think everything that they're saying um, says that this team has a different mindset, a different mentality than they've had. In the past. Give us a score prediction. Uh, score prediction. Golly, I hate score predictions. So I'm bad at math. I've got a journalism degree, so I'm bad at math. Um, Gerald, I'm also bad at math, man. I will literally just think of like scores I have seen before <laughs> and I'll just go so, with it. And Albert will be like, I like that. I'm like, thank God. It's like a breath. It's a, it's a sigh of relief every time. Or I make so fun of you're in good company. One of the two. <laughs> or he makes fun of me and then I don't have to think about it anymore anyway. So just go for it, bud. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. Let me see. 2008. What was the 2008 Texas Tech Texas game? The Crabtree game? Because I want to go whatever the inverse of 39, that 3933 uh, is going to be what I want to. Yeah. Whatever, whatever. No, I'm just joking. Uh, I legitimately think it's going to be like a high scoring game. I think both these teams are going to come out and try to throw the ball and kind of move the ball a little bit. Um, so I'm going to go like. My gut says like 38 35. I think it's probably what it is. I think it's going to be a field goal difference. I think both teams are. It's, it's what feels right. I don't know. I feel it's going to be a field goal game. Um, you know, I feel Burt Auburn's a pretty solid uh, kicker for Texas. And I think he's going to be, he's going to be a guy. And again, I think um, these are both of these teams are going to leave everything out on the field, right? Nobody wants to be, nobody wants to have eternal scoreboard. Uh, so I think that's, we know 38, 35. It's going to be a 40, it's going to be a 40 game. It's going to be a 40 game uh, <laughs> win. All forty, we're we're down by like like thirty six games right now. All of it is going to be erased. <laughs> Tech wins this game. So give me where as as someone who has as someone who has had a ten year scoreboard over a rival, nothing's better, right? <laughs> Texas has been able to scoreboard Texas A and M for the last decade, and it's great. They talk mess. I say Justin Tucker. I say Case oh, McCoy. They have to shut up, right? Like those yeah, are the they rules. disappear. That's the rules. They do. It is. So, uh, yeah. So I think it, it's, they're going to play for scoreboard for eternal score. So where does Texas wind up then? Do we have, are we, you know, are they are the big 12 champions? What's your uh, season prediction? Give me a record for Texas and where they, uh, where they end up at the end of the year. Yeah. So I've said that whoever wins this game, you know, that last game on, on the 24th on black Friday is going to go to Arlington. Um, it's a weird year because, you know, the line for Texas is nine and a half. And I feel like that's fair. And I also think if Texas, even if Texas hits the under on that, they still have a chance to go to Arlington, right? Because there have been more um, two loss conference champions and there have been undefeated conference champions in the Big 12. So I think um, if Texas goes nine and three this year, there's still a chance they end up in Arlington. I feel more like a 10 and two year. I think they're probably going to um, win one that they, I mean, I, you know, I've said that they, could go and i think a lot of people feel like they can go to tuscaloosa and win that game so they you know they go to tuscaloosa and win that game and lose two in conference honestly i think i feel more better about them losing in tuscaloosa um and dropping a conference game so like gun to my head 10 and 2 i think is the 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 mark i think they lose the non-conference game against alabama and i think they lose one in conference but they still end up in arlington and do they win the big 12 
I'm going to say yes. I'm, I'm just going to go. I'm going to say yes. They won the first Big 12 championship. They're going to win the last one. Do they that go game. to the college football playoff? Uh, I think it depends on how that Alabama loss looks. I think if the Alabama loss looks okay. This is um, not tortilla and depends, Gerald. Do they go to the college football playoff? I don't think I don't think it's this year. I don't think it's this year. Like if I have if I have to if I have to have the take, I don't think it's this year. This I, was the uh, year, Gerald. Yeah, was this was the year, man. You know, I can't pressure yeah. Gerald into making it. <laughs> it's I I I have been hurt too many. I was at the Crabtree game on the sideline filming for Texas. I have been hurt too many times to put my my heart uh, out there. Like shout out I'm to not Blake ready Gideon. to be hurt. <laughs> Everybody forgets about Blake Gideon. <laughs> shout out. Shout, shout out to Blake Gideon. Shout out to the person in the stands with the whistle. It was just the perfect storm. All right. Uh, Gerald, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can tweet at you and send you hate mail. Yeah, so pers- my personal Twitter at GH Goodridge, uh, hit me up there. It's mostly uh, you know topical like news stuff, sports stuff, and then dumb stuff my kids do. Uh, if you're looking for Longhorn coverage at Longhorn Pod, uh, I guess it's not on Twitter. It's on X right now. I hate Twitter. That. Mama called it Twitter. I'm gonna call it Twitter. Right, I love it. So yeah, so at Longhorn Pod, you can check us out uh, for all your tech. If you again, you can tweet at me, tweet the hate at me. It's fine. I love it. It's it's what made college sports fun is the hatred. Well, thanks. Thanks, Gerald from the Longhorn podcast. Uh, please. Actually, they are a really good Texas podcast. I know that it sometimes can be very cringeworthy to listen to some other Texas podcasts. We're not going to name them because we're nice. We're <laughs> nice over here. But the Longhorn Republic podcast is a fantastic podcast to listen to, especially leading up to that game. A uh, couple housekeeping notes. Uh, we're back with prize picks. So like we mentioned last episode, we're back with prize picks Use our promo code TAKES12, T-A-K-E-S-1-2, to uh, get up to 100% match, uh, get a 100% match up to $100. Right? That's a lot. That's free money. That is free money. We, that's $200 down. That's $200 that's bet right there. easy. And if you put something on ridiculous, you could be making that's a lot right. of money. You could be, right? And it's free money. So if you put down a five-leg parlay on something, you, you didn't lose anything. That's fair. Use our promo code. We're just trying to help you out. That's all it is here. So make sure you do that. Uh, for the People's Champ, that is Jeremy Gillen. This is Albie Shore, and you have been listening to Tortillas and Takes Podcast, part of the 1012 Network and part of Sports Social Network. As always, stay wrecked, people. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.